I don't know how many jokes I've told over the last number of years. Um, 52 a year times 30 years. My favorite one, and this is going to let you know how weird I am. I preached a wedding sermon one time, and I sensed that what God wanted me to focus on in that sermon was to encourage the couple to laugh because they were really serious. And uh, so I told a joke at their wedding, and it just, it didn't work. (laughs) So I'm going to tell it to you. Three men walked into a bar. The fourth one ducked. (laughs) Ten people got that. At the wedding, nobody got it. <laughs> Three men walked into a bar. Now, you're thinking, you know, I, I know where your minds are. You're thinking they went in to get a drink of beer or whatever. No, it's not that kind of a bar. There was an iron bar, and they walked into it. Touring. Three men, you know, walking along. Touring. And the fourth one, watching the first three, ducks. Amen. (laughs) Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you open up the eyes of our heart, that we might see wonderful things in your law this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I've been preaching the last little while um, a series of sermons on the life of Abraham, and we simply ran out of time to cover all the incidences of his life. The purpose... Um, the, the, the titles of each, mess, each message was a person of faith, and then there was a little phrase after that. And th- the goal was to look at the life of Abraham and let the different pieces, the different events of his life teach us what it means to be a person of faith. Because my conviction, my conviction is there are no elite faith Christians. There are no elite Christians They're just all Christians, and I think we all carry the potential of walking in great faith. I don't, it's not a matter of being able to quote a whole bunch of scripture back to God. It's not a matter of being able to figure out everything theologically. It's just a matter of the heart. You love the Lord and you trust him. That's what the word believe. Abraham is a man of faith. He believed, uh, he believed God, and that, that, that terminology means he trusted. He trusted God. Even in the incident where God said, walk outside your tent, look up at the stars of the sky, and if it's possible, number them, and you can't do it, but your progeny, your, your children and children's children are going to be this many. And it says, Abraham believed God and he counted his righteousness. When we looked at that, at that passage of Scripture, he wasn't even believing God for kids. The Scripture's clear. When you look at the words, he was trusting God. Not the promises of God, but he trusted God. It's just like, well, you know, I don't know about this thing of kids, but I trust God. And there were times he laughed at God after that and, and found the, the prospect of souring a kid by Sarah ludicrous. <laughs> I'm telling you, people, I know you. You can have just as great a faith as he did. Amen? It's possible. And so we've looked at these stories, a person of faith, and today I'm going to look at what will be our last one, at least for a while, uh, 
A person of faith sees the big picture, and it's, it's the last story of Abraham's life. We missed a couple of stories. I was thinking through the life of Abraham with Jeremiah Taylor. I don't know if he's here this morning or not. Uh, a, a guy I've mentored over the years, and I don't think Jeremiah's here, but we were kind of laughing about the life of Abraham. The, it's like, uh, you know, he lied and he did a bunch of things like all the rest of us have done. And it sounds like to be the senior pastor here, you need to be able, you, you just need to be able to know that you sin and then turn thermostats up and down. Um, so Jeremiah and, I were t- Jeremiah and I were talking about uh, Abraham being this great person of faith. And it's like, you know, there was a lot of little faith in him too, but the, the big pictures of faith I get from him, three things he did that were just chock full of faith. One was that he left Mesopotamia and, and he went to this land of Canaan. And God says, you know, leave, go, show. And you probably remember that sermon. And that was a tremendous step of faith for him just to leave everything behind, his, his culture, his people, his family, his livelihood, just leave it behind without really knowing where God was. God said, I'm going to just start going and I'll show you. And Charlene and I really related to that sermon. And it took a lot of faith for him to do that. And of course, it took a lot of faith. We didn't have a chance to look at this story, but when, when God says, you know, now that you've had your son Isaac, I'd like you to take him up on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Take, take your knife with you, take some wood, take some fire. You get him up there, put him on an altar, kill him, and then offer him, burn him up as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham, Abraham set out simply trusting that God would provide. That was the big, the big lesson of that story was Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. So it took a lot of faith, amen? amen? But what the greatest expression of faith is when God said, Abraham, see that flint knife over there? Go circumcise yourself. <laughs> now that's faith. As he starts sawing and whacking, it's like, holy cow, am I really going to trust God? That people is faith. Self-inflicted pain. Man. Talk about a man of faith. I say, God, don't, please don't ever ask me to do that. Well, we look at the last story of Abraham's life today. Genesis 25, verses 5 through 8, just four little verses. A person of faith sees the big picture. As he sees the big picture, can I have the first slide, please? First scripture. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. Isaac was the son of promise. He was Abraham's spiritual heritage, if you will. But while he was still living, while Abraham was still living, not Isaac, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Don't want to make a big deal of this, but a person of faith sees the big picture, and the big picture is simply this. We have natural abilities, and if you will, natural children, and we need to care for those. We need to give them gifts. But in in our lives, what we do, we posture ourselves in such a way that we, 
We distance the natural gifts from the spiritual gift. What is our spiritual gift? The spiritual gift is the life that God has given within us because we've placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this little passage tells me is that you put more emphasis, you give more care to that than you give to anything else you have in the natural. God's given you athletic ability, go play football. Don't take a knee, stand up, put your hand over your heart, whatever. But if you, if you play football, play it well. But listen, as you play football, understand that the more important thing in your life than football, you Ohio State fans, is Jesus and the life that he's put inside of you. Amen? And you see, if he's given you a nice head of hair, I look back and see Andrew and I say, whoops. If he's given you a nice head of hair, it's okay to shampoo it. It's okay to put gel on it. It's okay to take care of it. Probably not for a guy, but for a woman, it's okay to go to the beauty parlor and get, take care. But listen, that's a natural gift. Be more concerned about the life of God that dwells on the inside of you than you do how your hair looks. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the lesson. A person of faith protects his spiritual heritage at all costs. The most important thing we can do for our children as we see them grow is not to make sure that they get a good job that pays well so they can buy the toys that America offers, but the greatest thing a parent can do is raise their children in such a way that they've accept the Lord Jesus Christ into their heart and they live the rest of their lives for him. And if they're stockbrokers or if they're car makers or if they're carpenters, whatever it, the vocation is, with Jesus at the center of their lives, it will make a difference. Amen? And if your child never makes a bundle of money and they love Jesus, that's success. Amen? And I think that's what this little passage teaches us. A person of faith protects his spiritual heritage. The spiritual child Isaac got preference. We need to give preference to that life that God has planted on the inside of us above all else. Number two, a person of faith. The next passage, please. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Now that's a good old age. My dad is 99. He's got 76 to go. He ain't going to make it. <laughs> then Abraham... <sighs> what happened to him? Breathed his last. Abraham breathed his last, and he died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. A person of faith knows that his physical life will end. A person of faith does not grasp physical life at the expense of everything else. A person of faith, hear me carefully, a person of faith is not afraid to die. My mother, when she was 86, she's been gone for, I suppose, I don't know, dad's 99, I, I'm not English, she's been gone for about 10 years. She was on life support towards the end of her life and they were giving her dialysis and she hated the dialysis. Life was miserable and she was far enough gone that 
that it took her a long time to recover from the dialysis experience, and then there was, you know, three times a week, and she told the family, I don't want any more. And so they withheld it, and then she slipped into a coma, and the doctor said, family? And the family said, okay, give her dialysis. And when mom came to, you wouldn't want to have been on the other end of that glowering look. <laughs> Shook her bony little finger, don't you ever do that again. I am ready to go meet my maker. I know Jesus Christ. Don't you ever bring me back again. Okay. Okay, sorry, mama. A, a, a person of faith knows his physical life. No, everybody goes out of here feet first, amen? A person of faith is, is aware that, that physical death will come. Now, we don't sit around thinking about it a whole lot. We don't, and we don't want to hurry it up. But it's, and I don't want to be all morbid about it, but look at your neighbor and say, you're going to die. Go ahead and do it. It's awkward, isn't it? You're going to die. Death is a knocking at your door. Not today, I suppose. Probably, maybe it'll be a while. Maybe for, for, I, I'm 60, 65 years old. You know, maybe I've got another 40 years. The prophecies about, you know, fruitfulness, it's like, sounds like fun to me, so... Uh, 40 years, but, but I will die, amen, unless Jesus comes back, and he's welcome to do that any time. But if he doesn't elect to return at his second coming, this old boy's going to croak, amen? And you're going to bury me out here. Some of you, I mean, my kids, you know, who knows who's going to do it. Uh, we're going to bury me out here at Maple Grove Cemetery on that beautiful hillside. <laughs> it don't matter to me where they bury me, because I won't be there. Is this all morbid enough? <laughs> Abraham whew, breathed his last, and so are you someday. Gives you a perspective. A person of faith knows that his physical life will end. Okay? Amen. Next point. Person of faith knows that death is not the end. <laughs> Then Abraham, looking at the same verse again, Abraham breathed his last and he died at a good old age. An old man of full of years and he was gathered to his people. There is life after death. Genesis 28, 13 is the story of Jacob as he's running away from his brother Esau because Esau is ticked, wants to kill him. Jacob, this great man of faith, liar, deceiver, great man of God, running for all he's worth to protect him and his little mommy's life. Little mama's boy. Not a pretty character at this point. Jacob wasn't. Wouldn't want to name my son Jacob at this point of the game. Later, you would want to name him Jacob. He's sleeping out in the boondocks with a stone as his pillow, and he sees a vision. The heavens opened up. And there's a voice that comes out and says, I am the Lord. And Lord, there's all capitalized, means Jehovah, Yahweh, the, the great I am. I am the I am, the God of your father, Abraham. <laughs> Do you see the verb tenses there? <laughs> I am presently the God of Abraham. Ab was somewhere, Amen. He wasn't out there at Bethel. He wasn't out there in the boondocks. But God, who has a great 
much greater perspective than we have, speaking to this mortal man, says, right now, presently, I am the God of your father Abraham. I am the father. Meaning what? That Abraham still existed. This is God speaking. This isn't wishful thinking on the part of Jacob. This is God speaking. He says, I am the God of your father Abraham. There is life after death. A person of faith, next point, anticipates a gathering. This is the big picture. A person of faith sees the big picture, anticipates a gathering. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Actually, God woke me up last night, and basically, he's, he, you know, I didn't hear a voice, but this concept of gathering just started running through my mind and dominating my thinking. It's like, Okay, God, when I wake up in the morning, it's got the alarm clock set for seven, I will go upstairs and I will get out the Strong's Concordance. I'm going to look up with this word gatheredness. Asap. Asap. Hebrew, Aramaic word. It means a someone, a being, causes people together to a common point. So, Abram, Abraham was gathered. Let's say the gathering is over here. And Abraham breathes his last. Someone takes Abraham or causes Abraham, sets the stage for Abraham to come over here to a point of gathering with a bunch of people. His fathers, his forefathers. So there's not just life after death, there is a gathering of people who have life. We, a person of faith anticipates this, this gathering. Now, remember, we're all going to breathe our last someday. The key issue that God wants us to be aware of this morning is in order to go to this gathering, there are two criteria you have to meet. If you don't meet those two criteria, you run into a wall that cannot be scaled and cannot be tunneled underneath and cannot be burst through. We're going to breathe our last Sometime, there is existence after that event happens. There are some in the next existence who are going to be gathered with Abraham and his forefathers and all of those who have met two criteria. And the ones who have not met this criteria will go and exist in another location. Are you with me? So the question, the key question this morning for us is, what are the two criteria and how do you meet them? 
Let me show you some verses. The first prerequisite for that gathering. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Romans 4.25. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The first one, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. That's the negative aspect of what Jesus did. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus offers himself to the world. Basically, Jesus has this stance with the world. I already forgive you. When I hung on the cross, I forgave you your sins. Now the issue is, are you going to receive that forgiveness so we can, so we can get together and have a relationship? There can be no relationship. Where there's enmity, there's no relationship until forgiveness is both offered and received. Jesus has offered it to everybody. The question in this world is who's, who's going to receive it? Not trust this morning that we have received this forgiveness. If you haven't, I want to give opportunity as we close this morning for you to receive this forgiveness. But Jesus was delivered over death for our sins. Now what that tells us is that when you breathe your last and there's, there is a gathering place and someone has orchestrated things so that it's possible for you to go to that gathering place, one of the criteria is that sin can't cross over to that place. That when you step into that place, that gathering place, sin cannot be attached to you. Whoops. Anybody here besides me sin? And Mark confessed all of mine this morning. Thank God he didn't get specific. <laughs> Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins so that we can go to that gathering place with a clean slate. You reach out to Jesus in this life and you receive his forgiveness when he invites you to that gathering place in the future, you go there without sin because you've been forgiven of all those sins. Amen? Well, that's an old, old message. We've heard that forever. Amen? There is an aspect of the one criteria to get into that gathering place is often not talked about in Christian circles. It's kind of amazing. But it's also found in Romans 4, 25. We can look at the next slide. The second prerequisite for that gathering. Again, the verse, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We don't use that word justification very much. Uh, in a courtroom setting, we might say a person is justified, meaning uh, they, did, they didn't have wrong motives, that what they did was okay. He was justified, and we, we call it, you know, in, in certain court settings, there's the thing called justifiable homicide, uh, and, and that basically means self-defense. Somebody was trying to kill me, and so I, I took their life so that mine could be spared. Justifiable homicide. What you did in that situation was right, the right thing to do. I, I'm not making that case. I'm just saying in the legal system, that's, that's the way the term is used. Are you with me? Justification means you've done the right thing. Justification, it's the positive. Jesus died for sins, Whew, we're forgiven, 
but he was raised to life for a justification. We were declared to be righteous, declared to be full, full of goodness. So this is the picture. <sighs> Croak. Then Jesus has made it possible. Jesus invites me to a gathering, and I go to this gathering. First of all, Jesus died for my sins, and so I don't drag that stuff with me. I don't stand before God. If I've received Jesus Christ, I'll never stand before God. And he says, now wait a minute, what about that thing back in 1988? You turned the thermostat up one degree too much. <laughs> Plus, it wasn't your job anyway, Lyndon, it was Daniel's. That generation doesn't know anything about thermostats. It just just helping out. No, Lyndon, you overstepped about. He isn't going to bring the thermostat thing up, amen? I, I come to this gathering, and I have nothing attached to me that's evil. Anybody here besides me got a list of stuff? If you look back in your life, and you could come up with a list on a piece of paper that would embarrass a sailor, amen? <laughs> of stuff you've done that's not you're not very proud of. None of that! None of that, absolutely none of that goes across this threshold into this gathering place because Jesus died for your sins. Amen? Let's give Jesus a hand. <laughs> Woo! But, but, you don't come into this gathering place with just an empty plate. It's not just that you're clean of all sin. God's looking for stuff called righteousness. Justification. He's looking. Open up your dossier. He's looking in your account book, looking for some good stuff. Amen? Does that make sense? That's not preached much. Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification. Let me show you how it works. Joey, could I have, use you for a second? I'm on the stage, dude. Get down there. <laughs> Show him. He, he's Jesus. I'm the thermostat guy. An amazing thing happens with, with Jesus Christ. Open up, open up yours first and just show him. Just show him. Look how, look, how, look how clean that is. How white. This is a record of Jesus' righteous doings. And it's all in invisible ink, but if, if, you, could, if, if you knew the codes, you could get in and you'd see that, that Jesus healed the leper. You would, you would see here that Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in adultery. You would see here that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount and told people how the kingdom of God works. If, if, if people on earth would just live this way, this is the way the kingdom was intended to be lived. And of course, none of us do that perfectly, so then we need to be forgiven. But you would see on Jesus' record all of the goodness that he did. You can put it back in there. And then, and then this is Lyndon's record. It's not very, very pretty. And it, it is a mixture, but the Bible says if you are guilty of breaking one part of the law, you're guilty of the whole cotton-picking thing, amen? Now, my brother 
Dwayne was gonna be here. He couldn't make it because he had rotator cuff surgery. And uh, so he's home in, in Virginia. I just, as I thought about him being here, I remember that years ago when we were lads, and I know that's not a word that's used today, we were young boys, I'm assuming 10, 11, 12, we were camping at the roll-off. Uh, we, had, we had gone to a creek, some of us guys in the neighborhood, we called, our, called ourselves the Serrati Gang. That's a whole different story. <laughs> and we, we had gone to this creek and we had built a sodden, wooden sodden dam and increased the level and we could swim there. So we went camping there. And while we were camping there that one night, we said, let's go down to Snag Edward's house. The guy that lived about a mile down the hollow from where we were camping. Let's go down and raid his garden. Do you know what the word raid means? It's called stealing. So we went down to, we, we hiked a mile down this hollow, and it was kind of stupid looking back on it, but we, went, we got in Snag Edwards' garden. His wife's name was Reba, and they were sleeping. We got in their garden, and, and we stole, we raided a head of cabbage and a couple tomatoes. <laughs> you, you ever gather a tomato in the, in, in, in the nighttime with a flashlight? You can't tell the red color. I'll just give you one heads up. If you're going to steal tomatoes, do it during the daytime. But we got back to the campsite and started eating them. They were hard and green. I, I tell this story because I'll let you in a little secret. I'm a thief. I'm a freaking thief. And you know what the Bible says about people who steal? There's a, a hot place in hell for people who steal. And so, I'm a thief. And that's marred any good thing I've done. It's in my record, I'm guilty of, also according to the Bible, I'm guilty of, of breaking all the law. Now, let me show you a verse, and then I'll illustrate it. The next one, please. The great exchange made possible through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to show you how that works. This is, this is Lyndon and Jesus interacting. I trust you. I need a savior. Croak. Invitation to the gathering. Ta-da! Come on in, Brother Lyndon. You ain't got no sin, and you got a whole lot of goodness. It was his, his, I was credited with his righteousness. The word credit, it means I didn't earn it. All I did was trust Jesus. And Jesus, bless his heart, took... Joey, thank you so much. Thank you so much. What an exchange. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up as we close our morning together. We're going to sing together the song that we sang, I believe it was last Sunday, Jesus, Son of God. Just let that song says it so well. 
if, if you haven't caught it this morning, a person of faith has a big picture because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is at the very center of our big picture. We look at life through that lens of Jesus being at the center of everything. He's the one that's made it possible for my cabbage stealing to be forgiven. And he's made it possible for me to be ushered into that gathering with a full slate of righteous deeds credited to my account. It almost seems unfair. I did the stealing and Jesus did the dying. He did the good stuff. I get to put it in my account. It's that grand exchange. Jesus Christ. And as we close this morning, I would say to you, if you're a visitor, that that's the crux of my ministry, has been to present Jesus in such a way that we can understand what he did for us. And we can, because most of us are simple, we can reach out and we can understand it and we can appropriate what Jesus has done for us. That's been my mission, to make Jesus attainable and understandable. I can't make the decision for you, but I can present Jesus as clear as possible. And so this morning, as this phase of my ministry closes, and it's a phase that's closing. There are other phases out there. I wanted to give us an invitation to respond to Jesus. Perhaps you've never reached out to accept Christ. I want to challenge you this morning to walk down the aisle and by walking down the aisle to make that statement, I want to take part of this great exchange. Exchange. I want my sins all forgiven and I want to be declared righteous because I want to be ready for that great gathering. And maybe you're here and you've made that decision and perhaps what I've shared this morning has clarified something, something theologically for you and you just want to reaffirm your trust in Jesus Christ. I also welcome you to come to the altar and any, anybody in between, if God is moving your heart to come and, and respond to him. Before we get into that, I want to say this about, about the next phase of this church life. My phase has been over the years laying the foundation, helping us to clearly understand the grace that is ours from God through Jesus Christ. And he invites us in simple faith to receive that. I believe that there is another focus of ministry. Not that, that, not that we'll ever lose that. But that that's foundation will always be there. But I think God wants to use Joey to challenge this congregation to take that life that he's given us and to make a difference in this world. Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength and power. I sense that call on him. Notice the last two messages he shared. The dirt and the gift in that dirt. There you go, people. Let's stand together. You came down from heaven's throne. This earth you formed 
was not your own. That's very theological. Jesus was involved in the creation of this world. Everything that was made was made by and through Jesus Christ. So he came down from heaven's throne and, and lived on this earth. And this wasn't his throne, but he elected to come. Next slide. A love like this, the world has never known. A crown of thorns, just keep popping through. A crown of thorns to mock your name, forgiveness fell upon your face. A love like this, the world has never known. On the altar of our praise, let there be no higher name, Jesus, Son of God, Jesus, Son of God. For any way over the past 30, 40 years that I have ministered and have made Jesus cloudy, I apologize, never my intent. I'll tell you something, there is no higher name to Jesus, the Son of God. I urge you this morning that you make your peace with him. Let's sing. You respond as God leads you. Come to the altar however you want to respond. I want to let you know that I'm at the altar. I might even walk back and come forward again just to show because I need, I want to redeclare my dependence on Jesus Christ. For this next phase, whatever that is of our lives, it's got to be all about Jesus. Amen? Yes. On the altar of our praise.
in you, trust you, put our faith in you. Thank you for the gathering that you've called us to. And I ask that in our hearts today, God, um, I know there's more people that just even responded to you in their seats. Thank you for that, Jesus. I ask that um, there will be a new momentum within our hearts. That when trying trying times come that we would count it a joy and when fun times come we would count it a joy that our life perspective would change because you're living in us 
Mm-hmm. So God, I pray that you would bless this next step in all of our lives today, the next step, new beginnings for every single one of us today, God. Yes. A fresh start. We thank yes. you for that. Yes. Yes. Speak strongly to us of how to take step after step after step. And Father, we just bless the goods. We bless them with um, just direction and peace. A greater ministry, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand. Jesus. Give Jesus a hand. God bless you, and uh, we hope you can come this afternoon. Let's do something secular here. Charlie, can you come up here for a second? Charlie, we hug it. I just, uh, you know, we don't normally do this in church because we always want to give honor to God, and we're gonna we're gonna honor God by honoring Lyndon and Charlene. Can we give a clap offering to this wonderful couple?
Jesus, who died, now glorified.